Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Whoa. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Human beings are a disease. You are a cancer of this planet. And we are the cure. So you're here to save the world. So what do you need? Guns. Lots of guns. No one has ever done anything like this. That's why it's going to work. Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy. Because Kansas is going bye-bye. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Let's just get into it because uh, I uh, last week when we, re- we recorded, I uh, I was basically lamenting this this episode coming up and this this particular film, and it's uh, strange for me because it's not a film I dislike by any means. I've I've seen it a good number of times in my my youth. I really really loved it when it initially came out, but uh, I've not in recent years had any desire whatsoever to revisit this one so i know that this series gets a lot of flack now basically for how the the, the sequels uh, turned out or the response to them but uh, i wonder if you you share uh, those feelings uh, in our old age now 2017 about revisiting the matrix well this is probably going to be like the most boring episode ever because i think both you and i are are you know i, I don't even want to call myself a matrix hater uh, but I guess I have to because I don't, I'm, I've never really been a huge super fan, uh, you know, of this movie. And I kind of look down on, uh, people who are, um, 
I I I actually enjoy the movie. I I find it a a very enjoyable sci-fi thriller sort of like on the same level of like um d- did you ever see Daybreakers? Daybreakers. Is that the uh the vampire? I think so. Movie? Ethan Hawke? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I saw that one. Almost on that same level. Like like, you know, like like if if this is the if taking away all the hype, taking away all the fandom and everything, if this is something I was to watch you know, at midnight and I didn't know anything about it, I would say, wow, this is an intriguing world that, you know, that they brought in. Like it wasn't, it wasn't great. It it wasn't, um, you know, I didn't like everything about it, but I enjoyed my time with it. Uh, Where, where it gets tricky is that there are people who, who think this is like, it's just like the Tarantino thing. Um, You know, you can't uh, just like uh, a few Tarantino movies. You have to be, uh, of the mindset that Tarantino is the only filmmaker uh, around. And for, for Matrix fans, it's like, oh, well, the Matrix is the only sci-fi film ever. And, and if you don't, you know, think that way, then you are just, you know, uh, a useless uh, person. Um, <laughs> uh, totally. I, I say that right? to, uh, to a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like the movies I like. You are useless uh, to me, uh, especially for movie podcast purposes, I guess. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I don't want to knock this film too much because stepping back from it, even though I don't really want to revisit it. And that, like I said, to be fair, I probably watched this uh, far too many times as a teenager. I just, you know, I got a big thrill out of it. I just admired the the set pieces and uh, really liked the the action bits here. Uh, but I never really got into it. Some of my friends did. Um, you know, the, the philosophical discussions that uh, are in this film uh you know for me they're <laughs> they're there to set up ridiculous set pieces uh they they introduce these these rules where almost anything can be done by our hero here he can he can fly he can jump and you know space and time is sort of at, at his command uh but you know even as a teenager i feel like i, I had this one right like i <laughs> i think i was in my immaturity i was actually very mature about handling this film and that i never really want to get into forum discussions mm-hmm. about the, the meaning of the film and the, the red pill and all that. And, you know, what is reality? I, I just like that, you know, the gunfights were really cool looking and that they, the, the story beats just set up new ways to, to shoot action, which, uh, you know, unfortunately at, at that time, I believe they were beaten to the punch by a khaki commercial for gap. I can't remember. Maybe it was old Navy, but, um, lost, you know, it, it lost put, another one to, to khaki commercial for gap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, this is one We're of those always movies, one step ahead of us, you know. <laughs> well, you know that, that our nation goes as the gap goes. That's 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 how it <laughs> runs. But, uh, yeah, I I think this film, uh, I thought maybe it would get better as it as it aged because it it became such a uh, pop culture sort of touchstone uh, that it it quickly went into self parody. And some people may accuse the, the sequels of doing you know just that. Uh, I I don't have my issues with them, but um, I I think this film, as far as revisiting it, you know, there are clearly other sci-fi films. I wouldn't. The Daybreakers pool was kind of that that kind of threw me for a loop, and I th- we probably lost 
just as many listeners with that one as we did with my Gap Khaki commercial. It's, it's not like I, it's not like I was thinking about it. It's just that I, <laughs> that was the one that came up to the top of my head where I'm like thinking, what's like a kind of kind of B level sci fi movie that that I've enjoyed and found entertaining? Um, yeah, that's one that sticks off the top of my head. Um, you know, let me throw another one at sure. you. Sure. Um, and this one, you obviously, I think we're going to come down the same side of, but uh, I've always thought of the the Matrix as. Uh, you know, the, the Terminator 2 of the end of that decade as far as, you know, it got a lot of acclaim for for pushing the medium forward as far as its effects work. And it was something that, you know, for that for its target demographic was very popular. But I think it, there's clearly a difference as far as, you know, the, the actual character work in Terminator 2. There's something that draws me uh, to those characters in Cameron's world. And may, maybe it's a little bit of a harder edge to it or the, the stakes seem to be a bit higher even though they should be i mean they're they're both about you know the end of humanity and civilization um how do you think this ranks because i think a lot of people would put it up there with with a t2 as far as that goes as a sci-fi classic uh i mean i are, are you saying it's as good as terminator 2 or i'm not i'm not personally <laughs> but I, I i do understand it why it's that well regarded just just for the visual effects because okay. i do think that there are a lot of iconic set pieces here that you know they deserve that acclaim maybe not the movie as a whole it's certainly iconic and it certainly reached its audience and i can't begrudge it that i mean it it deserves credit it deserves credit for for capturing the zeitgeist or whatever uh but uh, I think Terminator 2 is a fantastic movie uh, in many, many different ways. And I've gone back to Terminator 2 many times um, in comparing, you know, modern movies that are that are falling short. And I really think they should go back and look at what T2 did right. Um, this movie could could have looked back on T2, in my opinion, and been better. <laughs> and this is where this is where it falls apart for me. You brought up the sequels. Um, this mm-hmm. whole thing so much of it is devoted towards establishing that this is going to be the beginning of something. And I remember being entertained by Matrix Reloaded, but I don't really remember uh, a lot about it. And I chase sequence yet again, another great set piece on the, on the freeway, the freeway, right? Yeah. That was, that was amazing. Um, but then I, I, when, when the final one came out, I don't even remember people talking about it. I never saw it. I, I've never felt compelled to, to find out what happens at the end here. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to guess that the world doesn't end. I'm going to guess that the world doesn't end uh, at the end of Matrix Re- Revolutions. Uh, don't even tell me if I'm right. I don't even care if I'm right. Uh, so, so <laughs> what does that say? What does that say that this whole thing is just setting up like, like a big, it's like if, if Fellowship of the Ring had had such, incredible diminishing returns uh <laughs> on its way to return of the king wow. you, you would kind of say to yourself well maybe fellowship of the ring wasn't that, that great to begin with and that's where i fall on on matrix I, I mean i think that's a little unfair um because honestly for me if i was going to rewatch one i think i would just skip to reloaded uh and maybe it's because i've not seen as many times and it still has great action in it and I, it would be somewhat fresh uh, for me, uh, that's a, that's an interesting point about the diminishing returns. I, I honestly do feel like there's a great number of fans of this film that probably set the Matrix apart and have just they've just cut out the sequels in some way. And like yourself, who didn't even see Revolutions based on the gross, there had to be a great number of people that didn't yeah. even bother <laughs> with the, the closing chapter of the film. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where... Um, 
there's going to be another film that came to mind. So I don't want to talk about too much because it's going to be featured on this this podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, Fight Club yeah. is one that I think uh, really compares uh, well to this one. If we were doing a double feature, uh, unfortunately, the release dates are a bit too far apart for for our format. But as far as the me enjoying and liking both films and yet uh, not approaching them or reacting to them uh, like the majority of the the fan base or the, the people that were, were hanging these the respective posters on the wall uh, we differ greatly uh, and I would say unlike Fight Club I've like I said I've not felt the need to really revisit Matrix uh, that much um, I kind of I, I wonder though because I I was really hoping coming into this that you were going to just completely bash me for that and be a big fan because uh, that would definitely help. We've had a rough couple of weeks here. Um, you, you you do realize that this is the first sci-fi piece of fiction to to question the nature of reality, Michael. You do realize that, don't you? Well, I, I think that's why I'm not <laughs> reacting so strongly to it because it, it just blew my mind and it's taken me almost two decades to you know wrap my head around it. And, and of course, uh, and of course, that is not absolutely not true. But this is something that I hear from Matrix fans quite often. Uh, so that's why I said that. That was facetious. You know, yeah, and I, yeah, I, 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 I think I think our listeners probably picked up on that too with, with Ben Zook stating something like that. Uh, probably not, not in the uh, positive regard there. But um, I, the, to get us off Fight Club, which we'll be featuring, let's go back to uh, nineteen ninety eight, um, Dark City. Uh, is oh released. Yeah. yeah, and that's one that really was. I mean, they were right on top of each other, and that one has has developed a strong fan base. I think a, a lot of that uh, credit probably goes to to Ebert, who just who was just all over uh, this movie. Um, is that one that you enjoy uh, quite a bit more, or is it similar to The Matrix? I mean, I like didn't even think to compare them for whatever reason but yeah i mean you know you just bring up the title and it's like and it's like i remember all the amazing things in dark city uh that that hold up so much so much better than some of the some of the even the really iconic things in in the matrix um so yeah the visual effects are good here but there are a few that have aged badly um i you know the agent um dodging bullets at one point you know that looks like a really bad cheesy double exposure um you know so there are things that that uh, that have aged poorly in the matrix and then and then i I look i i can't think of anything in dark city that you know that isn't uh that's dated in any way i think you know dark city they they definitely keep the the relationships there at a distance uh you know i think of i think of morpheus as a mentor here and a lot of it is because the the target audience is just you know, there's just a need, a great need for exposition or maybe a great concern, this being a high budget Warner Brothers film, that you have to have a character really over explain uh, the situation to our hero, Neo here. And Dark City, I guess the closest character you get to that is Kiefer Sutherland. But I mean, for the most part, you're just you kind of go on the journey with with the character there. And uh, some of that stuff, you know, The Matrix does really present. Uh, let's see, what is the runtime here? Dark City is an hour and 40 minutes. Matrix, two hours and 16 there's a lot of very skippable material here in this film. And so that maybe that's why I was dreading uh, the rewatch It's just because I feel like, yeah, we get it. And if you've seen it before, you're just going to move on. Um, another thing that kind of bothers me, the, the Trinity Neo uh, romance, which actually just gets worse. I, mean, I know you said you've uh-huh, not seen the third uh-huh. film, but them hanging their hat, uh, you know, on this, this kiss that will, will save the day and bring our hero back to, to his quest, to his, uh, to his path. 
uh, even then I thought like, okay, I, th- I think there's, you know, I, I don't think this is quite del Toro doing Pan's Labyrinth as far as like a love affair with like fairy tales here. I, I don't, some of the, the, the references here, which the, the matrix you mentioned Tarantino, uh, they're definitely chock full of like the comic books they read and anime and, uh, films they like, uh, some of that stuff I feel like is just really heavy handed, uh, as if they're treating their, their audience, maybe their wide audience, like they're incredibly dumb and they would not pick up on things if it was not, they weren't hitting them over the head with something. I mean, I, I, I can't be the only person on the planet who prefers Cloud Atlas uh, to The Matrix, right? It's funny you mentioned that. I just watched that a couple of weeks ago, and um, I, I'd i seen it a couple, a couple times. I went to see it in theaters twice, and I, I was probably a bit muted initially, um, but, but you, you know, saw I watched it twice. <laughs> I saw it twice in theaters. Um, and it, well, I mean, you know, I, I it was one of those things that I actually did want to, uh, even if you're not fully engaged with it on an emotional level, I do think that there's something there. If you're a film lover, you kind of want to break it down and reassemble it and look at it a little bit from a distance as far as how they, they put that film together, because there's any number of ways they could have really structured that uh, that narrative. Uh, but I just watched it again recently for another podcast. And unfortunately for The Matrix, uh, those were like right on top of each other. And uh, I, I agree with you. I was like, wow, I'm just I'm really into watching Cloud Atlas again in the Matrix. I'm just like, you know, looking at my phone, tapping my fingers, like, you know, <laughs> cursing Ben Zook, like, oh, we got to record this one. I can't let's get to 10 things I hate about you or some teenage rom-com that I, for whatever reason, I did not think at, you know, almost 35 back when I was a teenager that I would be pumped to talk about 10 things I hate about you in the Matrix, just have the total disinterest in. But that's where I'm at. But yeah, Cloud Atlas, I don't know. I. I, watching the Matrix, I, I started to wonder if it was the uh, the Wachowskis here. I actually because that was co-directed. I was thinking like I don't know because I, I I don't know if I'm necessarily a fan of theirs. I was not a fan of Speed Racer. I know that. Did, are you a was fan there, of some was of anyone, other stuff? Was anyone really? There like, really were some annoying people no on the internet. Oh yes, the, yes, oh, there absolutely man. are some people who uh, have attempted to reappraise that that film. That I I have no idea who the audience ever was for for that particular. It's uh, funny. It's funny, and I'm I'm gonna go off on a tangent, but sure. uh, I was watching the I am Heath Ledger documentary uh, last night in preparation as as research for the ten things I hate about you thing, um, and uh, Emil Hirsch it pops up in that, and, and I just feel like talk about a guy that that where like everything he's touched is gonna be like stained. Um, you know, <laughs> like he just pops up and it's like, oh yeah, it's that, it's that strangler guy who doesn't have to, you know, ha- doesn't have consequences for his actions. Uh, yeah, that's cheery. Um, I feel like, yeah, he would definitely have to be a stain on Speed Racer at this point, but <laughs> probably not so much into the wild because, you know, people can, can root for his, his slow and agonizing death. I, I don't know, like that torture. <laughs> That was an incredibly mean joke, and I was just like, I hope Ben bails me out and is not <laughs> and laughs at that. But um, yeah, that is definitely a, a tangent, and uh, neither here nor there when it comes to the the, the Matrix. Um, uh, here's here's something I just that came to me, and I think you'll like it since we uh, we kind of did this recently with uh, Ron Howard and Clint Eastwood. Uh, do you think the the Matrix uh, obviously a big financial uh, boon uh, to the Wachowskis, but the the desire to uh, recreate it or extend the mythology um, hurt them in their future endeavors because they they went from this to Speed Racer. They produced V for Vendetta. Um, 
you know, they, they kind of got locked into uh, doing franchise filmmaking in a way. And it's, uh, I, I wonder if, if we would have got some more interesting stuff if they had just pulled a Tarantino and done, you know, another version of Bound or something on a smaller scale than The Matrix. But it's, it seemed like Warner Brothers uh, wrote them a blank check and it just never, never repaid itself after Matrix 2. I mean, I feel like their losses have kind of caught up with with their successes uh, between Jupiter Descending and, and Cloud Atlas, which I really liked, but no one saw. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think there is. I mean, I'm sure we're going to get The Matrix uh, rebooted uh, yes, any any day now, um, and people will flock to see it. But I will I will be uninterested. Um, so <laughs> I mean, they've kind of they've kind of you know they 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 led their own way. In in some regard, it's a shame. It's a shame that Cloud Atlas didn't do better. I think that could have opened up a whole another you know world for them. But I mean, they're they're definitely interested in um, how humans are connected to each other. I mean, in this mm-hmm. this one, clearly it's it's very on the nose. There's a tangible connection that we're dealing with throughout the film. Uh, but it, there's such a like you know thinking of Speed Racer. Um, and even the the way the the Matrix sequels were in some regards unfairly received, there is still something where uh, it's strange to me for that to be their fascination that they have had an inability to really connect with audiences. Um, I I would say I mean post Matrix, their most successful work is V for Vendetta, which they did not direct. I guess they just have a heavy hand in producing it. Uh, but almost everything else, you know, people just have <laughs> look at what they produce and it's like I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like I don't know what this is. And that, that's just a sort of a – it's a shame, but it's interesting to me that uh, for that to be their thematic focus, that they just can't – they can't do that in, in real life. They can't accomplish that as filmmakers with a general audience. I certainly think they could have made a better movie of Watchmen than Zack Snyder did. So well, maybe that's yeah. how they should <laughs> redirect their, their focus. You know, I, mean, I don't know if you're giving them too much of a compliment there to be like, <laughs> you're, you're a step above Zack Snyder. That should be your career that's, path. That's, that, that, that graphic novel was on Time's <laughs> top 100 novels of all time. You know, it's A-list material. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I think they should, uh, they should do a, a bound sequel for Netflix. I I've, think never, that's I've where... never seen bound. I've never seen bound. Uh, Joey pants, uh, pretty much makes that film work. Uh, does a lot of the, the heavy lifting, but, um, <laughs> I don't know who Joey pants is. Oh yeah. That's uh, what it was. Uh, he's, he's in the matrix here. What's this character's name? Oh, uh, shit. Cypher. uh yeah. which one was he? Uh, uh, he, he's the one that oh, enjoys oh, his fake oh, steak. Joe, Joe Pantoliano. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific actor. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I should see that. <laughs> yeah. You should check out bound. That'll be the, the one good thing that comes out of this episode. It certainly, there's nothing good for our listeners here as we have struggled and wrestled. Well, to try no, to... <laughs> well wait, wait, wait. I want to say that I think the two really strong performances in the matrix are Joe Pantoliano and, and, and can you guess the second one? Um, I give me two. I'll say it's um uh, Hugo Weaving or uh, Gloria Foster. You, you should have stopped at Hugo Weaving. Uh, yeah, Hugo Weaving is is fantastic. Uh, as Agent Smith. Um, both. You both, like the Oracle? Not a fan. I like. I think I like the scenes. I don't. Well, okay. She, I mean, I guess she's fine. But here's what I'm gonna say about the Oracle. Uh, I don't understand why the agents are not concerned with the Oracle. Like, like they, you know, they see where they're, where they're, where 
they're going. They have Joe Pantoliano on the inside or whatever. Um, why is that not a big deal to them? Don't you think that, you know, if there's this person who is so incredibly, incredibly important to the Nebuchadnezzar crew that they would be like, oh, let's take care of this Oracle. But no, they're just like not interested in it at all. Um, that's that's the thing I think about when I'm watching the Oracle scenes. I don't know. Maybe they like her cookies. I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> it's whatever that program can create for the world. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. They give her a pass, you know, for whatever reason. <laughs> but so, so what? What? What I will say about Hugo Weaving and Joe Pantoliano is that they both have a lot of kind of silly things that they do, but they sell. And even some of the dialogue is a little bit cheesy if you just if you were just to look at it on the page. Do we have a deal, Mr. Reagan? You know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. But Pantoliano really sells it, really sells you about this guy's longing desire to just eat a steak and forget about the, the truth that he already knows. Um, and, and Hugo Weaving as well. You know, that, that is a very flat character to, to try and make work. But, but boy, that is the thing that, that sticks with me from, from The Matrix. I always liked, uh, and I probably like it more in my, my older age, that Agent Smith uh, really is, uh, and, and along with the Cypher character, probably the most human uh, mm-hmm. one, this program mm-hmm. who just hates his fucking job so much, hates having to deal with these you know these these gnats that just will not will not leave uh basically their their version of heaven alone this this perfection that they've attempted to give humans that they keep rejecting and so they they give them boredom and just his disdain for for neo and crew um i would much rather you know if they were going to reboot it i would like to see it from agent smith's perspective yeah that's a great <laughs> it's, idea it's, it's daily life uh and it is a bit unfair because most of the issues I have with rewatching the film, I, I sort of lay at uh, Lawrence Fishburne's uh, feet. Although I don't think it's him, I just think that Morpheus is just a, you know, he's he's just a bore of a character for yeah. me. And 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 this this cult uh, of people on the ship that that just uh, bow down to him. This idea of Neo. Um, I don't know. I think I think there's there's something interesting about having Keanu Reeves, who's often accused of being sort of a, a very blank uh, actor, uh, you know, playing this character who who doesn't really know how how to react to anything. But you know, I I've always thought that Cipher, this the stake scene is just you know that's just like yeah, I'd probably be that dude. Like I don't really care if this is fake. It just you know it makes me feel good. Like this this bit of uh, tomfoolery gives my life more meaning than eating you know. Oliver Twist sludge on a ship. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really hate the scene where they talk about. Um, I don't know. He says something about what if it's like you know weedy whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I really hate that scene. I really hate the Nebuchadnezzar crew. They they do seem <laughs> they seem to just exist to die later in the movie and to kind of work as like oh the stakes are being raised right uh, just artificially though we don't know who any of these people are we don't know what their importance is to what the Nebuchadnezzar crew is you know is doing it, it's just all kind of 
very random and they're and they're all really annoying i i particularly hate um <laughs> let's see not do is it not do dozer's brother which one is he tank yeah tank man talk about just an <laughs> annoying person uh, is he the one that does the the fist pump like when he's like like watching neo like the, oh the, yeah the, yeah the when he comes in like when he comes in and he's like oh hey are you, you did you well you'll sleep well tonight you know and it's just like man this is some weird homoeroticism <laughs> going on here and I, I don't know this feels like uh maybe even too much for for 1999 uh <laughs> I think Tank. Uh, I think he held out. The actor held out for more money, and then su tried to sue uh, Warner Brothers and the Wachowskis <laughs> for being replaced uh, in the sequels. Uh, and it's like it, I actually like the way they handled it. It's like it's so stupid. It's such. It's all you only see this in like nerd properties. I think, but mm -hmm. like you know, it's a new uh, actor. It's the uh, he's from Oz, and he was on Lost. He played Michael. I don't. I don't remember the the, the actor's name, but he he's like. I think Tank's cousin. Harold Perrineau. Harold yes, Perrineau. Yes, him. He's very good. Um, not so good in the sequel, but yeah, they make a reference to like, I'm Tank's cousin. And I'm like, no one was going to ask where <laughs> that character was. <laughs> Why did you feel the need to include that? Like, what, is Tank on a, on a vacation in the sequels? Like, what's going on? What? <laughs> the Nebuchadnezzar could not handle his enthusiasm and <laughs> <in> fist pumping. <laughs> I don't know. Unless you've got something else, I, th I think we're coming in on like a half hour here. Well, I don't know if anyone's well, still well, handling our an enthusiasm. An important thing we haven't brought up, which is something I wanted to bring up, and I don't know if this is going to, you know, it's going to get into dark territory, and and All probably right. not yeah. the 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 direction you wanted to head in. But so this comes out in March thirty first of nineteen ninety nine, um, and is a sleeper hit of sorts. Like it opens big, but has really good. Um, you know, drops and stays around in theaters for a long time. And, um, you know, on April 20th, 1999, we, you know, we have the, the Columbine High School Massacre, which will influence, which I think this is not the first time, this is not the only time we're going to bring up, um, you know, this event, because um, it influences movies in a very, you know, interesting way. Um, I believe we have Teaching Mrs. Tingle on the schedule. And, yes. and Fight Club. And I think, you know, probably will come up again. Um, you know, watching the, the, the place where I always ha have trouble with it is the, the sequence in the third act when he walks into the security hallway. Um, and they've established that all these people, you know, are real people in their pods or whatever with the, amniotic fluid flowing around them and all that but that if they do get shot their you know their minds believe it's real and they end up dying for real and so isn't it kind of bizarre that neo and trinity just blow away all these real people you know who are not the agents who are just people you know who are helping the agents or whatever um it's very unheroic unhero uh and it, it feels like something you know, feels like something I've always had a problem with with this movie, but but today I think people would have an even bigger might even actually notice it more more than I do. Yeah, yeah. I was I uh, let's see. I just recently rewatched uh, Inception as well, and I'm trying to remember how they they handled that as well. I, I think that that actually was an out. There, were, I mean, there's an extra layer of, uh, of rules where uh, you know killing someone uh, brings them out of it, but suffering pain like does not. 
Um, so it sort of allows our heroes to, you know, shoot each other or be shot and we can feel good about their little adventure. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting point. I do remember this getting some flack. Mainly it was for the poster <laughs> of all things. Um, yeah. Just cause you, yeah. Know, you see the characters just holding, I think all of them, maybe except Morpheus are holding guns, assault rifles, pistols, what have you. Uh, they're all yeah. holding, they're all holding a weapon. I'm looking at it right now. Even Joe Pantoliano, uh, you know. Got to, you know, you can't have his, his steak and fork, although that would have been more apt. Um, I, I remember that and I, I dismissed it as a teenager because, you know, I, I thought uh, you know, Columbine, I, the thing that always bothered me was, that, I guess, you know, the uh, the the uh, death toll uh, reached a, a point where it became a better media story. And then the killers, there was a fascination with them uh, from the media. But, uh, you know, that, that was not the the first shooting uh, within that time frame i remember uh, that happening being in high school that happening uh earlier on one even mm-hmm. in kentucky as mm-hmm. well um but it, i think now that you bring it up i'd never really consider it but it is uh, looking at the the times we live in 2017 there is a sort of uh, political uh, extremism uh to that act that they're doing that it's like you know they're these people that uh have not been woken up to our how we've seen the world uh, are there to be slaughtered because uh-huh, they're in the uh-huh. way, just doing their jobs. And I actually am glad, glad that you took this to a dark place. Uh, it's going to make it a little bit harder to, you know, play our, our stupid song, whatever I chose <laughs> choose here to put here. But uh, that may be one thing that actually probably works better uh, now um, for the film. I actually kind of like that decision. You've, you've sold me more that, yeah, Neo should shoot all those people because it gives this film a bit more weight than it would have otherwise. But Jesus yeah, I don't know. Christ, if it's, really? Well, I don't know. I will well, I'll agree with you. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that those characters probably deal with it themselves as uh-huh. they should. Um, it's only you know, almost two decades later, you bring this point where it's like, Oh, it gives us something to talk about on a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. He shot all these innocent characters in a film, but uh, uh, I, I don't know. Um, would would audiences have put up with it? Uh, probably not. I think they they want you know if you, if you're working with the enemy, uh, even though it is very unfair because these characters don't even know they're working for an enemy. They think I mean their their fantasy world is being a security guard for some <laughs> massive skyscraper. Uh, we can't be bothered because we have to uh, we have to see a lot of cool shit, a lot of cool guns, and um, that's probably because it's uh, it's fairly bloodless in that regard. I guess, you know, people, it's slow-mo, they get shot and they fall down. Um, but I, I've always wondered about that as far as how, how these sequences can, you know, they play well on TBS or TNT uh, because there is no blood. But, it, it, I mean, it's an astoundingly violent sequence, all of that, all of the carnage in there that is played to very danceable techno music. I mean, this is where, you know, I can compare it to T2 and say T2 did it better because if you remember in Terminator 2, Edward Furlong does the whole thing where he like screams at Ar- uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and says he can't Security just guards. kill people. Again, yeah, um, people just doing their jobs. Yeah, uh, they don't they don't know the world's ending. Yeah, well, exactly. But, but at least they establish it that he's not killing them by the end. Correct? Remember? He, he's yeah, shooting I, them I, and no, he's aiming for their kneecaps or whatever. But I think um, you're dead on that the, the targets are the same. These are people that just they, they are not privy to uh-huh, this, yeah. this this battle between good and evil. And it's just a dude in a leather jacket in both cases that comes up and shoots them for, for asking, you know, for having the audacity <laughs> to say, I don't think you're supposed to be here with your assault rifle. What are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, I mean, from a screenwriting perspective, I would I like. You know, my thinking would have been, can't they just get around the guards another way, a, a way that's maybe even more clever than than what's going hey, on? Hey, here? hey, like, <laughs> flying, ta- flying takes a while to learn, sir. What, what's wrong with you? 
<laughs> yeah, I know. They get the, they get the helicopter, uh, you know, to uh, couldn't have been even better if you gotten that like 15 minutes earlier. You wouldn't have had to kill like 30 people uh, in a lobby, 30 innocent people. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that stands out as a problem uh, for me watching this movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you pointed it out because it just makes me enjoy it even more. I'm going to fire it up on the YouTube, watch that sequence and... Call this podcast. And that's it, sir. That's a wrap. <laughs> that's always been my problem with John Wick is he goes into that nightclub and he's shooting all the people who have red shirts on because they're, it's established that they're all, you know, working for the man or whatever. Um, and I just I just always wonder, what about the one guy who just put on a red shirt that night, you know, just because he wanted to wear a red shirt? Uh, well, I mean, that's, you know, you don't go to Target with a bright red shirt. Ben, that's poor form. You do that's, if that's you work social. there. You do if you work there. <laughs> well, so. then you're a target for John Wick. If he's got an issue with Target, then you know, don't be a customer. <laughs> don't be a patron wearing a red shirt at Target. It's poor form. The you know, social faux pas. I think that's it. I don't I don't think I got anything better. I think you saved the episode. I guess ben. so. Really? How? How what did I do? <laughs> it just he gave me something to think about, but you know, your argument went the other way where I was like, Oh, this is much cooler. All this innocent death in the matrix. <laughs> well it is kind of funny it is kind of funny and hypocritical that it's like oh we're making this movie about people who are um you know like you're saying being awoke to the real reality around them and everything and then that leads them to being heartless killers uh of mm-hmm. everyone else and um you know it's it's kind of bizarre I've been on Twitter. I, it's a scary reality. I, <laughs> I've seen the, the pitchforks and the lynch mob. So, yeah, <laughs> the Matrix is real. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99 99.